Hey there, possums. It's been a while since we've had a chat, not since our little rebrand. Well, I'm good. How about you? How's your mom and them? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Oh, well, that's great. Well, we've got lots of exciting things happening over here at the SDF Network, and one of those things is that we're asking folks to come on down to our Patreon. We have some big dreams for content coming down the line, and we sure would appreciate your help in getting there. If you stuck around for our last big chat about announcements, you know that we are itching to bring you a 2E Pathfinder show. What with all the TTRPG news going on these days, now seems like a pretty good time for us to dip our toes into some on-air 2E gaming, as we've been having a blast with all of our 2E home games. A little Patreon support goes a long way to letting us devote the time we need to edit and record more quality content for you. So... In addition to our monthly subscriptions, we've opened up the annual subscriptions options for any of y'all that would prefer that. It even nets you a little discount. You can find a link to our Patreon in our show notes and linked from our brand new website, thestfnetwork.com. We, of course, understand that not everyone is able to support us in a monetary sense, but we would absolutely love and appreciate it so much if all of you would take a moment to rate and review the STF Network shows you love on whatever podcatcher app you listen on. This is the easiest way you can show your support and one of the most impactful ways to help us spread the possum love. We would love to welcome more folks to the Strange Table Fellows community. So please, tell your friends, and we'll see you. Welcome to another totally not a milestone, just a regular of the mill old just episode. A, just of a normal Apollo Projection Agency. Oh, I thought this was living with a fur. I am not prepared. For for your for for. I'm. What are we doing? Are we playing Starfinder? <laughs> living with fur is what it <laughs> sounded like you yeah. said, which would be like conservative Ziva's fashion show. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it was furry characters only, but. That too. 200 that too. episodes that, that, in and yeah. we still don't have it figured out. Nope. No, proud of us. No, it, proud of us. us. It's kind of our thing. It's yeah. whole bit. It's what we do. Well, we it. made it 200 episodes. Didn't get any of the sponsorships we've been shooting for. We, we <sighs> had nope. one sponsorship and we actually let it go. <laughs> <laughs> the one that we did get, we said, no, yeah, yeah. we yeah. don't want this anymore. I mean, I'm still mm-hmm. trying for Jimmy John, but no. You know, buddy. You You're not going to get me this time, John. You're not going <laughs> to get me this time. Damn it. Okay. 
I love that people Jimmy have started might, posting when they get Jimmy John's in our Discord just to try to rile us up. <laughs> <laughs> Man, just got some Jimmy John's, really enjoying it. They got here fast. I saw that like two days Freaky ago. Freaky fast. <laughs> So how do we know they're not actual Jimmy John's plants? <laughs> I mean, they could be. They could be. If playing they are, why game. haven't they offered us the deal yet? You know what right. I'm saying? Just trying to feel it out, man. Maybe they're not up to episode 200 yet. Because Long of me con. and Adam is why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, uh, we certainly didn't make it sound like we would be amiable to yeah. Jimmy John's. Fun fact. For I, dollars, I would you, you be? Know. No. Yeah, for, for dollars? dollars? Yeah. For, for dollars? Like just a couple? Negative. For sure. Oh, just free, dollars. free sandwiches. Fuck off. I don't what about want free sandwiches. What about free smells? <laughs> Get they the fuck out of here. Of their premium free lettuce bread. wraps. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't like a lettuce wrap? <laughs> I don't like Jimmy John's as a company. Why are we doing this? <laughs> we got them. Uh, we got them. We're back at it. <laughs> <laughs> Never change. Never <laughs> change. <laughs> no. 200. Thanks, guys. <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> you ain't lying about that, dude. You ain't lying about that. Oh, crap. Uh, yeah. Well, so I don't have anything planned for this episode, so I was hoping we would just <laughs> fill the hour of you guys telling me your favorite moments from the last 200 episodes. We're just going to do a clip show. Okay. That's all. Uh... <laughs> Josh, you start. You've got the best memory of You're doing of us. great. <laughs> yeah, I've got the best memory when I've been running on uh, not much sleep for the last couple of weeks or months or years. Josh, I'm going to um, say this in the most loving manner. If mm-hmm. you had a 23-hour nap and were feeling so great and the best on top of the world that you've ever felt, you would still not have the best memory. And because, I say that because <laughs> for years. Did, did I have you, not been did you say sleep. Josh or John? Because I think I yes. also. Yeah. Just the answer is yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm in this statement. And I don't like it. Yeah. I'm yeah. also speaking to myself as a member of the Goldfish Memory Club. There's there, as a whole. Welcome to the SCS Southern Memories. Welcome not to the Southern good. Tired Folks Podcast. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Should have been that from the start, dude. That's it. That's the, that is probably the most accurate description. Of Welcome to podcast. episode 200, folks, and we are tired. It, it really <laughs> encapsulates what we're about. Sleepy as hell, yo. <laughs> and I tell you, the weather. <laughs> I'm tired of that too. We yeah, haven't talked I mean, about the weather in a while. Well, it's, it's been raining a lot, and it's cold, and it makes me sleepy. It's been foggy as fuck, dude. <laughs> it yeah. was. It looked like Sleepy Hollow outside the other dude, day. I was for like, real. Silent it's, Hill. It's been messing me up. I still have this cough that I've had for weeks. I can't get rid of it. It's horrible. It'll get you. It's been messing mm. my science project up because oh, no. we're studying wind power and making little model uh, windmills, like wind turbines, and oh. the plan is to go out, there's this hill out beside the playground and put them in rows and have the school's own little model wind farm. And I'm just having to put all the wind turbines in a damn box because <laughs> it's miserable outside all week. Can't well, do it. That's how it goes sometimes, you know? Yeah. You don't want it to be, but it do be. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Zach mentioned, do. you know, before we started recording... That in two months we'll be have 
doing done this. Will wow. have been doing. Will <laughs> done. Have been, will have been doing. Oh no! Oh no! Yeah. I'm Southern and tired. <laughs> you went around way <laughs> too long. Done. Yeah. Will have done for, been for, done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for four years, and you know, if you want to get real about it, I would say that we had started planning. At least Heath and John and myself talking about the idea of doing a podcast, certainly doing a little play testing of Starfinder to see if we liked it around this time. So, you know, so four years, 200 episodes, and I don't think we've accomplished anything. So <laughs> <laughs> we have Dude. grown a great community. Oh, yeah, that uh, is there, true. There's one. There's one. That's, one That's all you need. That's one, one and done, baby. That's it. Nailed we are successful. Thank you for the save. We've we've completed two APs, so that's another thing. Heath, what's another thing we've accomplished in four years? We have oh, burned so many sponsorship bridges. <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing. Put it on the board, Josh. But we do we're, have a sponsor, a dice we, sponsor. We do. Oh, that's true. We yeah. do. Norse Foundry. Thank we you. We do. For, yeah. for, that's another thing we accomplished. Josh, yeah. what have we accomplished in four years? Go. A uh, number of keyboards. That's not a we. That's a I have, you, sorry, baby. sorry. Uh, we accomplished. Um, I mean, two hundred episodes of a podcast. Like, yeah, it's on the nose, but that's nothing to sniff at. Plus, okay. other shows. I see what like, you did there. Oh, nose and sniff. You didn't even mean to. Oh, bless him. You did it. <laughs> as tired as we are, just it. making it this long has been a real accomplishment. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, man. Like just doing this thing every week for four years. <laughs> I mean, that's something. That's yeah. something. No, did, that truly is, though. Like, having the consistency to play like this mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. this long. It is special. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you one thing that we've accomplished. We've accomplished by getting more and more friends throughout these past four years. The real that's accomplishments are the friends we friends. made along the way. Yes. Yes. You mean mm-hmm. that's it. That's it. Maybe the Absolutely. friends we made along the way were the friends we Ooh. made along the way. Fuck. <laughs> Yep. Think about Whoa. that. You know what that I'm saying? That just blew my mind. I'm too tired about that, man. <laughs> Ain't gonna do it. I'm too uh, drunk to taste this chicken. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get started, I just want to thank all of you for being here for 200 episodes. It is a special thing, and I, I don't want to take that for granted. A lot of groups don't get to play this long together, and... Uh, I don't ever want to forget how special that is. So thank you guys for being here. Hey, Adam. This. Hey. Thanks for being our great, amazing, fantastic GM. That's well. I'm one of like four now. Well, so. for this show, okay, well, two hundred. Okay, all right. Okay. All, all, right. Right. all right. Thanks for being with us for two. Okay, Th- and also thanks can for being we... the granddaddy of all STF yeah. GMs. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm old, tired, <laughs> southern. <laughs> Space grandpappy. Are Space you drinking booch or is that sweet uh, That's tea? Booch. It's booch. It's oh, booch. Oh, oh, it's it's a booch. Yeah, like, he's not a sweet tea person. I was going to make a comment about like kombucha, and I was like, you know what? That happened recently. Let's not bring it back up. And there you go, drinking it again. So well, this is just going to be. I'm a bitch drinker. I don't know what you do. To He's like, I'm a boy now. Adam. Why would you do that to me? I was like, I fucking He's ride for booch, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get that synergy mm-hmm. sponsorship. That synerg- I, hey, I'm up in that. Let's do that. I, for real. Can you not see Weldy being the fucking spokesperson for synergy? I mean, oh, it's God. right there. It's right it's there. there. Really over there like Turner and Come Hooch. get your booch, man. <laughs> I heard that, Josh, and I'll accept it. I'll allow it. Yes. Yeah, some pretty good booch, man. Yeah. And they got all sorts of different flavors. 
It's really good. It's really good for you. End of commercial. There it is. Yeah. yeah. They got, come and get your bitch. They got yeah, it. Yeah. Who would that? And even when I'm not drinking it, I am. Oh, God. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of you. Uh, okay. That's another show. Oh, um, <laughs> so, you know. Oh. Yep. Go ahead. I, I said. <laughs> Got it. Good commentary. Yeah, put it in the notes. I'm glad we, I'm glad yeah. we stopped everything. Yeah. For that. Make sure to clarify that, that he yeah. in fact did grunt. And- I literally didn't tell you to stop. I just chuckled. I know. I was just trying to be nice. Uh, anyways, so we we last left the APA um, in right after a big meeting about the the history of the Bantrids and what, what that meant for Hib and, and all that. And as I said, last episode, we're jumping a month forward. So you guys flew back to Absalom, Absalom station and have been on Absalom station for a month, or at least went there and, and did some different things. So we're going to catch up with the APA this episode. Um, so if you're ready, let's start. We're going to start in Ziva's office. Um, it has changed over the last few years. You know, it's much less a madam's office and much more a politician's office. Lots of papers and files on her desk, lots of information and, and all that kind of thing. And she is at her desk, you know, studiously working on something. Um, and her intercom buzzes as her front desk assistant buzzes in says uh, Madam Ziva uh, your guest is here ah uh, yes um, please uh, send them in um, and in the you know if you remember the elevator goes right up to her office and so out of the elevator emerges none other than Weldy himself and uh, Weldy it's like, uh, wow, this is cool. Um, hey, uh, it's me, Weldis. You call me Weldy. Uh, I, thanks for 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 meeting me. I I know you're like really busy and everything, and but I just I don't know. I just wanted to to thank you for for allowing us to be here, man, or or I mean, ma'am, or whatever. Well, this it's um, a pleasure. Weldy, man. I, well, I thought you were being. Um, I was, but it didn't feel right. I didn't know? enjoy it, um, <laughs> but I wanted to acquiesce to your wishes. But no, I guess I should go by Weldus to differentiate me from original Weldy. That is what I assumed, mm. but um, we'll just say Weldy for the time being. How about that? Okay. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Weldy. Um, no, we're very happy to have you here. Thank you so much. Um, is everything uh, all right? You enjoying everything? Yeah, I mean, this place is great. Um, and it's, like, really cool that the Xenodruids took me back, you know? And uh, after the whole thing that happened on Jedirat. Yeah. And it's also cool that, like, you're letting us be here to study your gardens. Um, you know, we haven't really, like, found anything specific yet, but... We can definitely sense that there's some old, there's some old magic there, 
you know? It always felt a little... a little tingle, but I wasn't sure if it was magic or if it was just the magic of a beautiful space. Uh, yeah. No, it's... it's... it's beautiful anyway, and, um... it's really calming, and, uh... I can see, like, why so many people, like, use it for meditation, but... Anyways, I just wanted to say hey and thank you and and really the APA and, and everything for, for what you've done for for me and the colony back in the Condas and the Xenodruids and the Pact Worlds and like everything. You guys <laughs> uh, you got you you got my vote anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I forgot to register, so oh, I need to get on that. Well, <laughs> Better, it's darling. okay. It's okay. It's I got a year. I just gotta find my ID and I gotta make sure I have a place of residence. You know I'm what? Not sure what the rules are for clones. As as she as he's talking, she's typing into her data pad like to set a reminder, like to mm-hmm. to catch back with him and be like, I just just want to make sure he's registered. Just just because because reasons. Um, and, and he's, and so, you know, that goes on for a little bit. He's like, all right, I, I gotta get back to work, but thanks, thanks for the time. And, um, hopefully I'll see the, the rest of the, the crew around, you know, tell them where I'm at. If anybody wants to see me, um, and like, I wrote Oren a letter like a long time ago, not that long ago, but like basically right after I left to see if he would maybe train me someday so if you could put in a good word that'd be cool but i'm not expecting much anyways okay i gotta go <laughs> uh and he walks out and so emily tell me what ziva's been up to the last month ziva's just, just in general just you know? in general just kind of been trying to nail down all of the things that have kind of like occurred recently you know the, mm-hmm. the massive huge galactic changes that have uh, sort of occurred and been made aware of um just sort of touching base with her people here at the pools trying to make sure that everybody's okay having gone and had time with oh my god what is the fucking alien race all I can think is Barathu Pantrids Jesus Christ uh, having had time with the Bantrids and kind of seeing their whole struggle, it sort of just reinvigorated Ziva in a lot of ways. And um, she's just trying to double down and make sure that not only the people on the pools are taken care of or the people in the pools, uh, but everybody on Absalom Station. She's really trying to, not even necessarily for her political gain, uh, it's just kind of double checking on all of the areas all of the people that she can making sure that things are running in the right direction things are moving um she's just been really kind of nose to the grindstone trying to feel like everybody's feet are solidly under them you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um all right well you also leveled up um what you want to kind of RP that or tell me a little bit about how you improved your skills? Um, so as far as uh, my skills, uh, there were just kind of a few things that Ziva felt like maybe she just needed a little extra assistance with, a little extra boost. You know, she's 
She's getting older. Okay. <laughs> All right. Like, don't tell anybody. But she's getting older. Um, so we we took a couple of a couple of things. Um, you know, just made some purchases, had some work done. Um, <laughs> you know, different things like that. But specifically. Yeah, so I did get a new improvisation. Um, kind of, again, trying to help out the crew. Um, so what I took was Brace Yourselves. Uh, as a move action, you can choose one enemy within 60 feet. Until the start of your next turn, you and your allies gain a plus one morale bonus to AC if adjacent to at least one other ally, which typically our groupings work like that fairly mm-hmm. well. Um and you're essentially like you're positioning yourselves to protect each other better. Um, but bonus persists even if the enemy moves out of the 60 foot range. Uh, and That's also, cool. I can spend a resolve to grant the AC against attacks made by all enemies. So that's pretty, pretty spiffy. That's pretty cool. It's uh, shades of Mike a little bit. Yeah. You know, like a little envoy style bodyguard action. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. It really kind of plays into you guys gelling as, as a group and. Mm-hmm. The blending the Apollo Protection Agency, the Pools of Paradise, and, and everything further into one cohesive unit. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much, Emily. Um, happy episode 200. Happy episode 200. We're going to move move on for a little bit. We'll come back to you. Um, we see Mike standing in Jatambe Park. It's also serves as the gardens of the pools of paradise and also the burial site of his father, Rupert. Mike is not a very magically intuitive person, but the presence of something old and mystical always fills his spirit when he is here. It is now further amplified by the collection of Xenodruids, Weldy or Clone Weldy or whoever it is among them, engrossed in their studies of something or another. Anyway, he th- what is Mike thinking about here? Um, I mean, <clears throat> after the recent kerfuffle <laughs> where <laughs> Mike went down and had to be resurrected, like legitimately died, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it shook him, you know? Like, I, I don't think he would have talked about it much, but I think it would have been easy to tell he was really bothered by that. I mean, it's like a blow to his ego, um, as well as, you know, he's like Ziva, it's like he's getting older, you know, like that. Looming specter of death, tough as he is, is something he hasn't really grappled with a lot in his life. So, um, you know, when he gets back and um, has time to think about, you know, the loss of his dad and and all that. And I don't know, I feel like he's spent his entire life not thinking about death and loss in the afterlife or, or trying to avoid it actively. And He's, he's had time to be a little more reflective about it, which is probably kind of where he's at right now. Well, yeah, that's, that is, there's certainly a lot that Mike has to <laughs> process, you know, and um, I, I certainly appreciate, I, I like the idea of you processing that through Rupert's burial site and at the piece of Jatambe Park too, as well, or the gardens of the Pools of Paradise. You know, Weldy sees you there, but he doesn't come over to you. He he kind of consents that you're kind of going through your own thing, so he doesn't want to intrude. And maybe you go talk to him later, I don't know, but, well, you tell me. Do you 
Do you say anything to him there? He's kind of in a different section of the park, but you can certainly see them over there uh, in their canvas tents, you know. I think being in the sort of reflective mood that he is, like after a while when he's kind of been able to, you know, do the best he can to kind of find some catharsis, talk him in, himself into it's every everything's okay, you know. Uh, he, he probably would go over to Weldy if he noticed he was there and... It would probably be very uncharacteristic of Mike from Weldy's perspective. Probably comes over uh, almost fatherly, you know, put a hand on his shoulder. You know, how you doing? Very calm, very serene. Um, uh, hey, Mike. How's, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm all right. Weldy, how are you? It's good to see you. And I think, I think also Mike, in his reflection upon seeing Weldy probably realizes he's kind of been shitty to Weldy in the past, you know, J- mm-hmm. mostly jokingly. So, but still that doesn't, that's not, not negative, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing all right. Like on a new project here, trying to like research, you know, the potentially ancient spirits that are, that are here, but you don't, you don't really care about, about what I'm doing. It's cool. I, I, I just wanted to say, Hey, and, and, and you know what's up <laughs> uh, what's up that sounds quite interesting to be honest oh uh, really yeah yeah well okay so like we think that there there may be like a spirit in this park that like kind of permeates through the whole through the whole gardens and that may have even been here when like Galarian was here and is like left here whenever Galarian was gone disappeared you know I I don't know about all that but I can certainly sense something here can can you feel it I think you know Mike gets quiet and like he never would in the past but probably actually thinks about it and is like oh I don't know can I feel that you know for a mm-hmm. couple minutes and you know whether it be his connection to his father or what he's been through or whatever after a couple of minutes he's like you know I'm, I don't know what I what I feel necessarily but I, I think you you might be right this place does feel special somehow Uh, yeah, well, I, th- I think it is. Uh, uh, if, if you want, I can, like, keep you posted on, like, what we figure out and stuff, you know? And I don't know. I know, I know that, um, um, well, I know that, that your, your dad is buried over there, and I think this is a really good spot, you know? Like, I never really know my dad. Yeah, well, I didn't either until... I, I got the opportunity I never thought I'd have, so we didn't you have. You met a, my dad? Uh, I mean, my my dad. Oh, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, yeah, I got it. Uh, okay, cool. Well, listen, we'll 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 of course be respectful and everything, and and I'll, and I'll um shoot you like a, a, an email or yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, for yeah. sure. You still got cool. my sword? Yeah, and he like kind of turns it around. Back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Take good care of it. Um, okay, well, so after Mike's reverie and that conversation with Weldy, he climbs into his armada and heads back to the Apollo Protection Agency headquarters. Weldy's much got more an mass- armada now? 
Well, a Nissan Armada, of course. A much more massive installation than the humble single room office of its beginnings. As he drives the truck around a familiar corner into a tight and narrow lane, he remembers a mission that the APA conducted at this very spot the year before his trip to the Vescarium and the Dashko Dojo. And you know what we need, guys? Something we haven't had in a very long time? No. It's some really? doodly no. doos. <laughs> Let's, Let's go. go. Let's, Let's go. doodly do it. Nice. Nice. It's been a while, y'all, since we've done that. It's like riding a bike. It's like riding a bike. You feel feel good about it? Yeah, it came back right. to me pretty quickly. Yeah, right. Artificial sunlight shines down on a convoy of black armadas, creating a dappling effect that reflects the orange logo of the Apollo Protection Agency seal emblazoned on the exterior of the trucks. While the shine does enhance the sunburst shape of the seal, its reflection makes it difficult for Michael to scan the crowd that has gathered along the edges of the street to bear witness to this escort. Mike was glad to have Orrin and Fell here too. Something about this escort was making him feel uneasy. Typically, this type of fanfare would not be present, but this case had drawn significant media attention due to the severity and locality of the details. A large group of androids had been captured, replicated, and imprisoned in a sweatshop lab that was making a new type of intoxicant, blue guano. This euphoric accelerant had been found in some deep caves within the jungles of Castrovel, but the limited access and supply made the party drug difficult to acquire. Recently, however, there had been a surge in availability and blue guano was suddenly in every nightclub in Absalom. Many wondered where this sudden influx had come from, but information on the sources were kept very tight-lipped, and since the health and addiction risk of blue guano were surprisingly low, most club owners didn't mind just turning the other way. Two weeks ago, the truth came out in an explosive and bloody fashion. From the slums deep in the spike of Absalom Station, shockwaves rocked the upper-class homes of the eye, causing fissures to rip through the infrastructure of the rich. The emergency response team arrived on the scene to a collection of singed androids standing over the crumbled and burned bodies of their captors, a local criminal organization of the Spike, the Speechless. The androids had rigged a batch of blue guano to explode during an exchange to the street team that, that distributed the drugs to the entertainment district of Absalom. The outrage of the citizen, the outrage of the citizenry of Absalom Station was quick. And divisive. Most were eager to support the androids in their rebellion against their captors, but the rich, the criminals, and the criminally rich began to sow discord against the androids, calling them terrorists for their destruction. These opinions were further amplified and fractured as they hit the infospheres, and suddenly, the androids found themselves accused and charged with murder, destruction of property, and terrorism. The Apollo Protection Agency immediately reached out to the Android Abolitionist Front to, their, to offer their services to escort the accused androids to the Star Docks and further on to Abalon to make sure they received fair trial, but more importantly, to protect them from any potential attacks as the online vitriol had reached a fever pitch. Meanwhile, Noriko Zivarajny, after a deep and meaningful conversation with Kuiper, began campaigning for a position on the Absalom Station Council 
specifically to lobby for the rights of androids and any other groups that are marginalized and discriminated against. The crux of her campaign was built on providing the best legal support for the androids that credits could buy. So now, at the request of Ziva, Mike, Oren, and Fell are here to personally oversee this escort to ensure the safety of the androids and their legal team. Thus far, it had been uneventful outside of the crowd and din that surrounds them, yet anxiety rumbles in Mike's gut. Oren, you see anything in the crowd? Anyone looking out of place? Something, something feels wrong. Yeah, Mike. I feel it too. Keep your eyes sharp. Fell, go up ahead. There's a choke point around the next corner. I want to make sure we've got SA as the convoy makes the turn. Yeah, sure thing. Be right back. These are the times I actually miss that damn Potra. Could use Kuiper right about now. Yeah, well, he's not here and we are. Let's focus. The Armadas continue their slow drive as if this was a victory over the Swarm Day Parade. The narrowing road and tightening crowd forces Oren and Mike to hug the vehicles and makes the visibility lines much more difficult. Oren taps on the hood of the lead car signaling for a driver to halt the procession. Fell rushes back to his friends and reports. Yeah, that bottleneck's not great. Uh, there's roofs with raised walls, a perfect position for snipers. Scans aren't reading any life forms at that position though. Just to be safe, I went ahead and sent Ralph and Tizik to the roofs of each side to give us better visibility from above. All right, great. There are three trucks, so let's all lead a team, one with each vehicle. I'll take Bruiser and Velnia and guard the lead vehicle. Oren, you take Zaldu in the middle truck. Fell, you, Tiny, and Bevan, Bevan take the rear. Fell nods as he, the Skittermander, and Verthani head to the back of the procession. Oren makes an affirmative grunt and flanks the middle vehicle with the Kasatha. The mystic steals a glance into the armada and sees the fear and anxiety on the androids' faces within, attempts a reassuring smile, but to no avail. So, he simply uses his magic to cast a calming effect on the convoy. Mike pulls up his comm unit as he leads Bruiser and Velnia to the front of the procession. Aereo, we're approaching a choke point with limited visibility and high risk. Any chance we can get some eyes in the sky? Copy, mate. Hold tight. Send a helicopter drone to your location. Perfect. Mike turns to the uplifted bear in the drow and he says, All right, look sharp. We're going to get these androids to the Stardock in one piece and without a scratch. Remember your training and stay focused. Mike then makes the signal for the convoy to move forward. The crowd gets more and more compact as they make their way into the narrow passage. They are so close to the vehicles now that the APA has to physically push them back from the trucks. Most are cheering in support of the androids, but Mike notices that there are not a small amount of resentful scowls among the spectators. His stomach tightens as the feeling of disaster sinks deeper in his gut. Oren is the first to hear the sounds of the AAF drone approaching and makes a quick telepathic communication to Fell and Mike. The Verthani and the Vesk look up to see the hover drone zoom overhead and settle into a position above, giving the APA a little sense of ease though they remain at alert. Mike is looking intensely through the press, hoping that his instinct is wrong, and his yellow eyes are met by a scroungy human in the crowd. The dirty man locks eyes with Michael, and a mischievous grin spreads across his face, revealing broken teeth and the lack of a tongue. Mike knows that tongue removal is the signature of the speechless, and the realization puts him directly into action. 
Orin and Fel watch from behind as Mike darts over to the crowd on the port side of the convoy, not knowing what he is running towards, but instinctually ready for action nonetheless. Orin telepathically asks Mike, What is it? You need us? No, just look look among the crowd. The speechless are here. Orin immediately hones his supernatural perception and begins scouring the crowd for any signs of the speechless. Though looking for those without tongues is pretty difficult without performing a dental exam on each individual person in the crowd. Then, a sudden explosion from above. Orin looks up and sees that the hover drone has been destroyed, the small fragments raining down over the procession in the streets of Absalom. Chaos takes hold of the event as screams and smoke obscure all senses. Fell activates Terry as he scans through the smoke and dust that has been kicked up by the madding crowd. He sees the drow, Velnia, get down on his hands and knees and try to crawl under the lead truck. As the drow crouches, Terry's scanning functions communicate to Fell that the APA agent is strapped with explosives across his chest, hidden by the overcoat he was wearing. Mike, Orin, it's Vel. Vel's got a bomb. Mike turns from the human and looks back at the drow, a huge pit of betrayal gnawing at his insides. Veluna had been one of the most promising new recruits, learning the training and displaying a sense of leadership that was rare. But no time for remorse. Mike runs and then slides under the lead armada, hoping that Fel's remote hacking can stall the explosion for a few moments as his massive vesk form crashes into the much smaller drow, wrapping his arms around the bomber. As soon as the two clear the armada, Mike activates his rocket pack and launches himself into the air along with the drow he has grappled in his arms. At the rear of the convoy, Fell watches as the Vesk blasts into the air like a missile and Terry chimes into his ear. To your right, Fell, there's another one. Fell looks to his right and sees another drow running out from the crowd to the rear armada, brandishing a battery-powered grenade launcher. Terry, overcharge that weapon. You got it, Fell. The mechanic hears the familiar whirs and clicks of his AI as he runs full force into the speechless. The drow tries to fire his weapon, but to no avail. Terry is quick and efficient. He has but a moment to look up from his weapon to see the towering figure of the Verthani collide into him and pin him to the ground. Orin, in the middle of the chaos, feeling sure that Fel has handled the rear, looks up and sees Mike flying further up with the drow recruit in his embrace. Mike, what the hell are you doing? Oh, just some fireworks. May need a smidge of your magic after this, though. And at that, Orin sees the Vesk activate his full armor as the helmet closes over the snarling, smiling Vesk, moments before being enveloped in a massive explosion high above the pandemonium on the streets below. Orin refocuses on the scene around him and immediately determines he needs to get this crowd under control before it turns into a mob. Already, some of the spectators are on either side of the lead armada, rocking it back and forth on its chassis. Orin hovers just slightly above the middle truck and then explodes in a burst of starlight, washing over the entire stretch of road. The crowd covers their eyes, shielding themselves from the blinding radiance that is emitting from the Star Shaman. Everyone evacuate this area immediately. The stewards are on their way, and this street is officially closed. Go home. Now! The crowd, either enamored or in fear of the mystic's display, simmers down and begins to dissipate away from the scene. Orin looks up and sees Mike falling from the sky with no sign of the drow that accompanied him remaining. Shaking his head, he shouts, Fell! Call up Irio and Ziva! Let him know what's going on! I got a vest to catch. Orin then shoots up to catch Mike as he plummets, charging his healing magic as he flies. 
He intercepts Mike and sees that while the Vesk is still alive, he is certainly unconscious. Grunting, he discharges his restorative magic into his friend, and Mike's yellow eyes pop open with a smile. I knew you liked me, Oren, but a hug in the sky for everyone to see? Well, that's something. Oren rolls his eyes and then lets go of Mike. Come on, we got a mess to clean up. There's a there's a fun little flashback for you guys. Yeah, that's fucking dope. I love that action scene. Like everything, just it was just so action packed. I fucking love that, dude. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> we were just talking about it, and it's like we always talk about shit. the APA and what they do, and we thought this would be a good opportunity to actually show them in action at the, um, at the day job. Yeah, right, right, right. Absolutely. And you got some feelings in there, man. You got everything. Wrap it up. That's a movie. Roll credits. <laughs> that's, <it>. oh, <laughs> <you know? laughs> that's that's the intro to a movie. Where's that's the love that, interest, that, man? That's that no. like five minute <laughs> opening scene in a Bond mm-hmm. movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, so, you know, that's what you're thinking about, Mike, as you drive back to the APA. But I want to know what have you been up to in the last month? Uh, I was actually thinking about it a little bit before um, we got on today. And I think right after we got back to Absalom Station, having uh, been killed and resurrected, that whole situation probably gives Mike a lot of anxiety to begin with. So I Mm -hmm. think for about a week, Mike falls back on probably some bad habits and just wants to remind himself that he's alive and probably spends a little time in the click clack club, maybe seek some companionship at the pools. Um, you know, probably does a good bit of gambling, some drinking, um, for probably about a week. Um, and then probably gets a little reflective and realizes, okay, well, this isn't the way, you know, like I'm, I don't want to turn, you know, I don't want to devolve. I want to continue to grow. Right. So he breaks out of that that running away from his feelings kind of thing and and starts uh, deciding I, I want you know I, I want some some self growth out of this. I want this to become a positive and just trying to run from it's not gonna do that. So um, he starts going to see his dad's grave and stuff. I think that's kind of the catalyst uh, that that helps him figure out what he wants to do and then, um, so in this month, like, uh, did, didn't you mention, like, we felt, felt some kind of, like, worry that this whole thing's not done? Like, we're not just going back to our regular lives or, like, something's nagging yeah, at I us, mean, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know that the World Seed sent out a signal to the Ark right, Prime. Okay, and okay. so there's just that looming over you guys that, that, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. You don't know where it is, but there's this potential of it just emerging into pack world space, you know, right. because, and so that, that definitely is weighing on, okay. on you. So, you know, a- after a little while, he kind of, uh, I feel like this tends to happen whenever we're in between big momentous events in Mike's life. Um, he's, he's always when, when they're not on a big mission, they're just kind of back in doing their day, day job routine. Something nags at him always that, the next big thing is going to come around the corner and catch us by surprise. Like it did um, when we went on vacation last time, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he's like, no, I got to keep training. I got to keep improving. And he really wants to go back to basics, right? 
he wants to forge himself a new set of armor and kind of get rid of some of the bells and whistles um, and, and and just make uh, something pure. A set of armor that is that has a lot of upgrades and stuff, but is is more function than flash, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, maybe his, in terms of crafting armor, his magnum opus, you know, like uh, he wants to make the greatest set of armor ever. And, and in the back <laughs> of his mind, to it, it would be to prove it or, or make his dad proud. You know, if his dad still exists somewhere, he wants to make a set of armor worthy of making his dad proud. Mm-hmm. So that really becomes a, a, a mission for him. And he spends weeks working on how can I make this awesome set of armor? How can I make it say something about me? How can I, you know, get to what is pure that I love about armor? Um, and he does. He, he crafts an amazing set of armor. Um, and also keeps training with the Dashko. So, you know, in terms of being a combatant, Mike essentially went the way of the fist and then mm-hmm. and then went the way of the Dashko and now is both, right? And he wants to keep his training going with both of them. But he um, spends some time shopping around and finds a new Dashko that, that he is really enamored with. It's a White Star Plasma Dashko. Nice. And and keeps Ghost Killer on it in, just in case. Um, and mm-hmm. is really training a lot with, with his Dashko and with his new armor. These are really his focuses. Um, and through that training, he sort of levels up. I would say he... Fully levels like literally up. levels up. Yeah. Definitely levels technically, up. Yeah. Technically, technically right. levels up. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually like the scene, the little scene in Jatimbe Park with Weldy and him asking, can you feel this sort of mystical vibe? Because I, when we were talking about it, I was like, I kind of want to flavor that. I did finally put a point in mysticism. So I can nice. auto-aid in mysticism. Nice. Nice. Um, and it's all on feel, you know, it's like instinctual. Right. He's not a scholar of mysticism, but he can't help with that. Um, but in terms of actual training, basically he completes the cleave tree. I took great cleave. So now I have cleave, great cleave and the armor, uh, upgrade spinning cleave or armor boost spinning cleave. So I can, I I am that he's working on when he's, when he's training the Dashko spreading out dummies or training partners as much as he can and swinging them around and they don't have to be adjacent to each other as long as he keeps hitting he can keep spending resolve and hitting more people that's awesome yeah that's awesome yeah helicopter of death uh i like it i like it very good mike uh thank you heath for that and happy episode 200 and we'll come back to you later and his armor is white and orange of course nice kind of assumed as much but just well, no, he's had several reminder. different colors of yeah, armor I, get, I know i'm just i guess i'm looking at the uh the artwork that we got <laughs> mm-hmm. he's he's settled on on i mean he's always tried to stick to apa colors he went black and gold for a while he's getting rid of all the black trim like it's just white and orange just very clean very shiny it's kind of that white star like his plasma dashka you know love it all right well Let's move to Fell, who is flying back to Absalom Station. The ship feels fantastic, though he knows it could probably do even more if Oren were here to fly it. But his visit to Versys has been nice, and he, though he is anxious to be back in Absalom with his friends, the anxiety of the specter of the Ark Prime never far from his thoughts. Josh, what did Fell get up to 
back in Versys. Well, so I could see Fell after the ship having been worked on, Fell wanting to take it for a test drive and thinking, why not go home for a bit? Mm-hmm. You know, he did promise his parents that he would communicate with them more often. So on his way there, he would have sent them a message saying like, hey, I'm going to be in town for a, for a little while. Like an unknown yeah, like amount of time. Literally 10 seconds after you send the message, your, your phone calls and, and Marco's <laughs> just like, you're coming home, oh my God, we'll make the best potatoes ever. <laughs> Wait, how did you even get this to me this fast? There's a four-hour space delay. <laughs> she was, Ma- she was, mama never tells her secrets, fell. <laughs> She's putting like some type of telepathic link or something right, that's, uh, right. that pings her when he thinks about her. Moms uh, <clears throat> find a way. Right, right. So, uh, uh, so yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what'd you do in Versus? I could see uh, Fell going back there, and uh, first and foremost, meeting up with his folks, mm-hmm. and uh, taking them out to a nice breakfast at the Space Waffle House. <laughs> Frank's like, "What's going on, son?" And he's like, "Much nicer to you than he's ever been your whole life." You know, um, you can tell that he has like a lot of pride in, in who you are and what what you've done. And he's like, "Oh, we're going to get hash browns." Yeah, they're the best in the world, so or all the worlds, so uh, yeah. Can I get them chopped, smothered, and covered? You can get them chunked too if you want. If you want to go ah, crazy? Fuck chunked. <laughs> pretty sure they I'll only have chunked. Pretty sure they only have normal, still like non-sparkling, non-bubbling water for you, though, pops. I'm sorry. I know. I know uh, how much you love that. Uh, I, your mother's trying to get me to do new things and die. I gotta say, after our 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 visit to the pools. My mind has certainly been uh, expanded. <laughs> I did not need to know. Ah, uh, it's all right, Fell. Everybody has sex. It's nothing to be ashamed of. No, it's it's not. It's not. It's just weird coming from your old man. Are you having sex? You know that's important. Not recently. Well, that's that's unfortunate. It's okay. <laughs> you got busy things to do. I understand. Just say it. Don't be embarrassed. It's fine. I'm I'm not. It's just a weird conversation to have with your parents, you know. Why? Why is it weird? It just—you can't talk about this with your dad. Nah, I really don't feel like it. All right, all right, all right, all right. We'll just get some hash browns. I'm gonna get a waffle. You getting a waffle? Yeah. Here, can you help? Can you help me out with this crossword? Sure. Three-letter word for white oval offspring. I can't figure it out. It's egg. And the whole time he's shoveling eggs in his mouth. It's egg. You're eating Ah, it. Ah, it's egg! Of course it's egg. All right. Thanks. So, yeah. Good, good uh, breakfast. Some time spent (laughs) with his parents. Good Good talk. talk. Yeah, good talk. Uh, Some time spent with his parents and Mm -hmm. and would kind of drive around town for a bit. Mm hmm. You know, no no real destination in mind, just kind of seeing where where the road takes him. And he finds himself in front of the old Eclipse Innovations building. Without really thinking about where he was going, he's just, you know, ends up there, kind of on autopilot. Not literally autopilot, but kind of, mm-hmm. you know, driving mm-hmm. like that. Uh, what does he see? What does it look like now? Uh, it's like there's a couple of windows busted out on it. There's a bunch of graffiti all over it, certainly abandoned. Uh, there's like the remnants of some old police tape kind of strung up on it, it the, it's overgrown vines kind of crawling up the side of it 
Um, yeah, it's, it certainly looks abandoned. I gotcha. Well, seeing that, he uh, kind of remembers his time at, uh, talk, talk about bad memory, my brain. <laughs> uh, he remembers his time at New Elysium and decides to go get a drink at his old haunt. Mm. You know, the, the bar where he went and met Sedona for the first time. Eh? Yeah, the same one with the... Or uh, where she offered the job, rather. She yeah. offered the job and with the, the robot bartender that he was not too pleased about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You'll be happy to note that that robot is not there uh, and that there's actually a Yusoki um, serving, serving some brews there. Well, he goes and uh, orders himself a, a nice, probably now overpriced cocktail. I'm sure the place is no longer quite like it used to be and may have gone some uh, upgrades to make it look old. And okay. it's just it's just not the same. You know, he's, he's back home. He's back where he was. And you can see Stardock from where he is. And it's just not the same. You know, mm-hmm. he realizes that this... He knew it before, but just kind of reconfirmed that this is not home. Uh, as he's sitting there nursing that drink, uh, Terry chimes in and lets him know that he's figured out a bug in his own system as to why he wasn't able to take you know multitask quite as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he can track three targets in combat. <laughs> Terry's like, look, line up three shots. Three, order three shots. I'm not trying to get smashed. No, no, no. Just do it. It's going to be great. Hey, uh, Barkeep, give me a... Just just give me three shots, Well, Whatever whatever you got. It's... Um, I, okay, I don't really care you like Fireball? Yeah, no, but sure. <laughs> how about I... How about I give you one shot of Fireball, one shot of Rumplemints, and one shot of Jaeger? That sounds like a disaster. Call it the Neapolitan. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Why not? All right, Phil. And this is Terry talking now. What I want you to do is try to look at all three of them at the same time. It feels weird, but I... I know. Just try it. Just try it. And Fell does, and all three of them come into focus. Yeah, like separately. Like you can like... Like separate images, but still focused at the same very time. Very clear. Yeah. 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 It's like, all right. Now shoot him! And Fell pulls out his plasma rifle. Now, uh, <laughs> you know, one in each hand, and then just you know goes down the row and takes all three shots, and just about chucks from that because it's yeah that I mean, combination. Could you imagine? Could you imagine taking a shot of fireball, then a shot of Rumplemints, and then a shot of Jaeger? Oh, God, I can, Yikes. and it sounds horrid. Um. <laughs> But yeah, so that's, I mean, he just, he basically wanted to go back home for a bit, take the, the tracer out for a, for a little spin to see, you know, make sure that everything was functioning as it was supposed to, and figured you might as well uh, make a good use out of that time, or out of, mm-hmm. you know, turn, turn it into a little business vacation for himself. Well, I, I like it. So you, you fly back to Absalom, um, and that's where we'll leave Fel for now. Happy episode 200, and we'll come back to you. Woo, 200! So now we go to Kuiper. 
see Kuiper. Kuiper makes a note in his datapad as he sees his mark entering a known meeting place for one of Absalom Station's most notorious criminal enterprises. It's a restaurant that sells some of the best shrimp po'boys this side of the diaspora. The tall Verthani has disguised himself well, but is no match for Kuiper's near-mythical detective skills. Here he was, Ziva's primary competition to the Pact World's council seat that she will campaign for in the next year, conducting some sort of business with the local mafia. Kuiper stealthily makes his way to the back of the alley of the restaurant to set up his recording equipment. A grin spreads across the Patra's face as he thinks back to the origins of this particular type of work he does for Ziva. And we have another doodly do. So here we go. <laughs> Perfect, guys. <laughs> I can really hear it in your hearts, you know? Every time. Light spills through a large window and dances across the facets of the crystal glass in Ziva's hand. The ruby liquid inside swirls gently as she raises the glass to her lips while she peers out over the restless bustle that is Absalom Station. She leans against the window frame, turning her attention from the outside to survey the room she stands in, her private office at the Pools of Paradise, her business, her sanctuary, her home. The lush and lavish accommodations of her private rooms, which had once brought her peace and comfort, now felt at times hollow and cold. Although it had been nearly two months since the ordeal with Dr. Kragant, and she was beginning to get back to normal, she still sometimes felt the weight of shadows, and often she feared that the beauty surrounding her was only an illusion, a thin layer of gold gilding that hid the brokenness that was her soul. She felt unprepared, uncertain with the fear of being blindsided by the next ordeal. But those feelings were becoming more manageable. She was getting better, and she was taking steps to keep herself, and more importantly, those she cared for, safe. She is pulled from her reverie by the sound of her office doors sliding open. With an ever-present air of lethal grace, Kuiper Vargas enters with a slight smile and a polite nod of greeting. Kuiper, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much for coming. She crosses the room and opens her arms wide to her friend, his furred neck tickling her cheek as they embrace. Ziva, you look as lovely as ever. I couldn't possibly refuse my capitan. He smirks and takes a small, playful bow. <laughs> well, I actually didn't ask you here as your captain so much as a potential employer. Can I offer you a drink? I've just decanted a lovely Castrovellian red. Employer, eh? Well, now, color me intrigued. Though, I'll be honest, if you're looking for a new dancer, I may be a bit rusty. <laughs> you see, I haven't really danced for an audience since I was stationed on Vestri. <laughs> and yes, if you want me to tell you more about those days, I'll definitely need a glass or a few. Ziva raises an eyebrow at that comment and pauses to give Kuiper an appreciative look. Is that so? Well, now we'll have to set up another meeting so we can discuss that memory in great detail. She winks playfully and gestures to the comfortable seating area to the side of the large room. Once settled, she gives her friend a searching look for a moment, then without any further preamble, makes her request. 
I am so happy that you've decided to stay and work with the APA. Your skill set and expertise will be an unrivaled asset to the company and to all of those that require the assistance of the agency. That being said, I wanted to ask if you would be interested in doing some additional work. Not for the APA, but for me. I would like for you to be my intelligence operative, or more plainly, my spy master. The greatest tool against almost any adversary is information. There are so many that rely on me to keep them safe, and I need someone who can help me do that. You, Kyber, are someone with not only the skills for this role, but you are someone that I trust implicitly. Would you be interested in the job? For a moment, surprise flashes on Kuiper's face. Then he thinks over her question. He takes on a more pensive air. He takes a sip of wine, closing his eyes for a moment to enjoy the robust flavor and bouquet. After a moment, he opens his eyes and focuses again on Ziva. Even before I sat down on that cursed rock in the diaspora, I gathered extensive intel on the APA after discovering you would also be at the resort. I had to be sure you wouldn't interfere with my task. Since then, I've seen you make extremely difficult decisions that have made a profound impact on your life. This is, I believe, one of the many things we share, an understanding and acceptance that sometimes the right choice is the most painful one. Yet. We are still willing to make it. I've met Ziva the Madame and Ziva the Capitan, but I feel I am still meeting Ziva the Person. I know your stance on certain things in a professional setting, but if I'm to work with you on this level, I need to know that the information I'll be gathering will be used for the proper causes. Ziva takes another sip of her drink, then with a rather self-deprecating smile, looks at her friend. You know of the fighting coliseums on Akiton, yes? There are no workers or staff at the coliseums, only pitmasters and slaves. I was enslaved for nearly five years. I was able to escape the horrors of slavery thanks to the kindness and decency of the previous owner of the pools. He saved me and became my mentor and dearest friend. When he passed away and left the pools to me, I swore I would continue in his footsteps and save as many as I could. I've since spent my life liberating and aiding those in bondage. That is one of the main purposes of the Pools of Paradise. It's a safe haven for those recently freed, needing to rest and decide how they want to move forward. I have worked with the Android Abolitionist Front and other freedom-fighting groups and on many, many rescue missions. I may not be the one breaking down the doors of a slave trafficking ring, but I am a resource of information and political manipulation. It takes money and clout to have certain 
high-ranking figures turn a blind eye on these missions as the means we take are often not quite legal. That is what I offer, and that is why I need your help. Ziva takes a deep breath, and then another long sip of her drink. I still find it marvelous that you come from such brutality. Although, I suppose blood is a suitable fertilizer, even for the most delicate of flowers. And the flowers you adopted into your pools seems to thrive as well. That said, in my line of work, I must be very cautious with whom I do business with. And I can sense when someone cannot push past their own ethics to get the job done. I do not sense this from you. From my time handling the dirty business of Eclipse Innovations, I've seen your level of... dedication. And I find it admirable. Kuiper looks pointedly at the madam. Not many of us have the determination to want something and willfully sacrifice for it. Which leads me to the itch I've been wanting to scratch. Why does the illustrious owner of the Pools of Paradise need a spy master? You must understand, this request would be a great disservice to the both of us if you think you can make changes and keep being the madame. I refuse to believe the great Nariko Zivarajni would be thinking on such a small scale. If you want to stop the suffering, you cannot simply react. Ziva sits back in the plush chair and stares into the distance for a moment. She lifts the glass again, but pauses before bringing it to her lips. She tilts it, the last bit of wine thinly coating the inside of the curved surface. I have had ideas. I have considered running for office, trying to make an actual change at a higher level instead of just attempting to maneuver those that could. You... Maybe you're right. I've been working so hard to save people from the end result, and we should be focusing on stopping the issue at its source. Why keep trying to staunch the bleeding when I could try to stop the wound from occurring in the first place. Taking one more long look at her wine, her lips curl into a small smile, and she downs the remaining liquid and sets the empty glass on the table between them. She looks to Kuiper, suddenly feeling more at peace and determined than she has in a long while. And what of you, my friend? Will you solely continue your work? Will you solely continue your work with the APA, or... Is there another, grander purpose for you out there? Kuiper clears his throat, surprisingly unprepared for the question. <clears throat> well, um... Bounty hunting was a steady-paying job, but after the events with Eclipse Innovations, I must admit, I realized I was also staunching the bleeding, as you put it. <sighs> The last time I felt I was a part of something larger were my days fighting the swarm. However, being a patra in the Vescarium did have its limitations. Thankfully, I was inducted into D9 where that wasn't a constant reminder. But not everyone is so lucky or capable. So, Nariko Zivarajne, 
As long as you have the APA continue to render aid to the unlucky and incapable, you will have my services. With that, Kuiper raises his glass and tilts it in a small salute to Ziva, then tosses back the small remaining amount and sets his empty glass next to hers. When he finishes, Ziva takes a moment, then raises her comm unit and begins typing out a message. After a few seconds, a reply comes through, and with a smile, she looks at Kuiper. Considering the large-scale changes we both seem to be contemplating, I thought it might be prudent to speak with someone who has some experience in both aspects of our pasts and potential futures. Are you familiar with the name Lynn Cameron? Lynn Camelan. Now there's a name I haven't heard in quite some time. However, I do recall reviewing the dossier D-9 put together on the Hero of the Swarm War. Ascended up the ranks of the stewards and is now sunsetting as its Director General? Quite the hall, Capitan. Just what exactly are you up to? Just then, Ziva's comm unit lights up and begins to chime. She raises it and accepts the vid call. The image of an older Karasha Lashunta appears. His face is slightly scarred and worn, but he has a warm smile as he greets her. Ziva, my dear, always a pleasure to hear from you. What can I do for my favorite, madam? Hello, Lin. I was wondering if I could have you over for lunch one day soon. Nothing formal. I was just hoping to catch up and introduce you to a dear friend of mine whom I believe you would be very interested to meet. And also, I'd like to get your opinion on an idea I've been pondering. Would you be interested? Of course. It's been a while since we've talked, and anyone you call a friend, I would be happy to meet. My assistant will coordinate with yours on setting up a time. I look forward to seeing you both. As the Director General of the Stewards signs off, Ziva looks to Kuiper and smiles. She reaches for the decanter and refills their glasses. They both raise their drinks and nod to each other. To the future, and to making that future better for everyone. As their glasses touch, the sunlight from the window again catches the intricate bevels of the glass, causing a bright momentary flash, highlighting the shadows of the scars they both still bear. As the light fades, we're back into the present. Hey, what y'all think of that one? Give you guys a little time to react to that. Uh, it um hmm. I knew who. I knew who. A lot of the more romantic pretty, languages uh, on display there. Yeah. Of course. I I, uh, <laughs> I was wondering how that came to be for Ziva. Mm. So uh, mm. it's, 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 uh, it's good to know. Yeah. Sometimes it just takes a little push from a friend. Mm-hmm. Yeet. Yeet. Well, we're back in the present with Kuiper, and he's continuing his work, uh, finding, getting some dirt on a potential uh, opponent for a political race. And we know that uh, not only has Ziva achieved a position as the part of the Absalom Council, she has her sights on, set on 
a seat at the PAC Council that should be opening up in the next year. Mm-hmm. So what else has Kuiper been up to over this month? So aside from the uh, congratulatory news of uh, Ziva's uh, position, uh, he has been over the course of the month reflecting on the events back on Hib, uh, mm-hmm. the homing beacon that was received by what is apparently the Art Prime, and Mike's brief encounter with death, and whom he's noticed has been a bit pensive and cathartic, and instead of trying to provide what he feels are platitudes, you know, for the for the aging Vesk. I'm not aging, he's still young. But yeah, he's not young. <laughs> he decides that he's going to let him work it out until eventually uh, they do meet up and they work out their feelings and uh, reflect on the death of loved ones and even ones that have survived, like Kristoff and Zeno. Um, and also the events of Hib. Um, and intermingle, I mean, like interspersed throughout that month, he had been tire- tirelessly, but also fruitlessly, uh, digging into the sieve anywhere he can. Um, mm-hmm. Because, again, that has been on the forefront of his mind. And so he has just been hacking into university databases, uh, exploratory archives, uh, historical debriefs from the Starfinder organization, technological repositories on unique beacon signals. He's even queried Xeno 5 on potential astrophysical locations, potential arrival dates, and damage simulations once uh, this supposed art prime, if it were to ever enter the Pact Worlds or Vescarium system. Uh, and even then, he's also went and sent an encrypted communique to D9, summaring these events that, occur- that have already occurred. And uh, that's pretty much what he's been doing for the month. So he's, he's, he's been busy. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, that's a lot. That's yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, happy episode 200, John. Um, level up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. Oh, yeah. So uh, for level 16, he went ahead and took another level of operative, putting him at level 13 operative and level 3 soldier. So for operative at level 13, he got quad attack. So spoiler alert, that's attacking four times in one turn. No. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And if he doesn't want to attack four times in a turn, well, he's got Trick Attack that has bumped up yet another D8 for a total of 7 D8. Um, Nice. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. Um, And as far as gear, um, Kuiper has uh, actually switched armor. Um, A bit of it is kind of more of a uh, philosophical take on it. Um, So he had been wearing the Vivisector Exochiton, okay? And uh, which, which was the swarmly yes, looking stuff, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It was supposed to be uh, reminiscent of a Thresher Lord, as far as like you know, which was, was responsible for cutting off his arm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, anyway, along with uh, his little uh, spike, which was the Mind Reaver um, spike that was um, then harvested. Um, he's, uh, been kind of just like swarmed out, you know, uh, for like the past year and three months. That's how long that he's had the swarm armor. Okay. And so it's been so integral for Kuiper throughout his entire life. Okay. But since then, 
he's kind of come to a realization that he's kind of evolved past this this trauma that he's where he's using the uh, skin of the swarm as to serve as a rep- representation of his trauma, right? And uh, since then, he's he's kind of come to the realization that there are more existential threats out there. There's always going to be existential threats out there. And he doesn't need to be uh, symbolizing one, you know? He's evolved past his trauma and that he's uh, realized that the threat of the swarm has dampened for him as a singular representative of that fear. And since then, he's um, uh, become more mobile, uh, taking on a D-Suit 5, which has a bunch of uh, armor upgrade slots. So with that, he's upgraded his pistol and some extra boosts uh, through upgrades that I'm just going to reveal through combat. Great. Awesome. Can I can I take just a second and say I like um, the idea like in my, in my head. I'd say headcanon, but I, I think you'd agree to it being canonical. But... Uh, Mike and Kuiper obviously meet up every now and then at least because they're such good friends and have trained together. I love the idea of them every now and then over that month getting together and training speed versus strength. Like you quad attacking and him doing the big swings with the Dashko, you know, like every now and then they get together, talk about their feelings and then blow off steam and get past their feelings by trying to hit each other. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what we do. That's what we do. I'm awesome. Yeah. Well, finally, we're going to check in with Oren. The star shaman is looking out to the stars, grumbling as he awaits Fel to return with the tracer. He knows that Fel needed to visit his home planet with the impending calamity of the Ark Prime looming over the Pact Worlds. The mechanic needed to visit with his family and reconnect with his roots. But a pilot does not like being without his ship for very long, particularly with the knowledge that a starship full of tyrannical, warmongering Civ could arrive at any minute. He would have gone with Fel, but he had his own business to attend to. So, Zach, what has Oren been up to? Well, like everybody else, Oren's obviously up, you know, done some shopping, you know, upgrading his gear, done a little gunsmithing on Sedona, that sort of thing, right? But, uh, and let me give your voice just a little rest, Adam, okay? Thanks. You know, Appreciate I'll, it. I'll, Thank I'll, you. I'll, 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 I'll take this one. Um, okay. Yeah. But the main thing that he does uh, while they're on Absalom Station during his downtime is Oren decides to do some research uh, on the deity um, Eloritu, Eloritu. I think it's Eloritu, right? I think it's Eloritu, yeah. Eloritu? Sounds better, so let's keep it with that. All right, let's go. All right, so Eloritu, uh, which is, you know, this mysterious god known as the Hidden Truth, whose rune they discovered on board the World Seed. Presumably, uh... Um, Eloritu is worshipped by the ancient Civ. So browsing the infosphere, you know, reveals some information, but comes with a heavy dose of speculation driven mainly by popular media depictions of Eloritu's worshippers as these robed arcane cultists and relic hunters who are obsessed with the Gap. Something, of course, that, you know, Oren could relate to. In fact, Ibra and Eloritu even share temples in certain locations with particular magical and astronomical resonance, and their followers will occasionally cooperate during investigations of particularly intriguing metaphysical phenomena. So Eloritu's uh, worshippers were known for speaking in riddles and, and concealing many of the arcane mysteries that they had unraveled from the wider populace. 
Secret keeping, as far as Arn could tell, was pretty serious business as far as the uh, Alorotuans were concerned. I think that's how you, uh, a follower of Alorotu, Alorotuan. We'll go with it. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, none of this information explained why this god's rune would appear in a Civ worldship over a millennium old, and Orin felt that there just has to be more to this story. So, utilizing the APA spy network to gather information eventually leads him to the Arcana Miriam, which is a prestigious magic academy there at Absalom, uh, where a secret society called the Hidden College was rumored to abide. So there he makes his way to the office of one Hypatia Cruiz, the Archmage of the Arcana Miriam, and allegedly the leader of the Hidden College as well. So, Orin is greeted outside of Cruz's offices by a Yasoki woman who asks him if he has an appointment with the Archmage. Orin says that he doesn't, but would need to speak with her anyway. The secretary narrows her eyes at Orin and informs him that would not be possible. Uh, so, Orin clarifies, politely yet firmly, that this is not a request and that he would be speaking with the Archmage. At this point, he gets the sense that this Yosoki likely has a, a weapon of sorts trained on him underneath the desk. You know, call it a hunch. Uh, so Orin slowly moves his hand towards his own sidearm, and then the two of them engage in a silent stare down, each of them just progressively narrowing their eyes more and more until they're both just glaring at each other through tiny slits and intensely furrowed brows. Eventually, though, this tension is broken as a middle-aged human woman emerges from the office door behind the secretary. She's wearing a long coat over a high-necked top, uh, high-waisted pants, and long boots. And this human addresses the Yusoki as Vrenica and assures her that she could make time for such an esteemed guest as Mr. Vance here and invites Orin into her office. The Yosoki glares at Orin as he moves past her through the door, and Orin just shrugs in response. Inside Hypatia's office, the two introduce themselves, and she asks what business Orin has with the Arcana Miriam. And he wastes no time informing her that he's aware of the Hidden College and has come seeking information about Aloratu. The two of them speak eventually for several hours. He informs her that the APA has discovered one of Aloratu's runes on the World Seed. This, of course, sparks Hypatia's curiosity, and she asks him all manner of questions about the rune, and in turn, she informs Orin of the storied history of the six runes of Aloratu's holy symbol, uh, and that this particular rune was one of the two that had previously remained undiscovered. And... Naturally true to their reputation, Hypatia spoke mostly in riddles that ended up leaving Orin with more questions than answers. She didn't seem to know much about the Civ or their particular connection to Alortu, but she was fascinated all the same and seemed appreciative that Orin brought this information to her attention. As a fellow truth seeker and arcane practitioner, she offers to teach Orin a powerful spell. Hypatia waxes at length about how the mind is a powerful tool, capable even of altering one's physical reality through focused mental perception. By tricking the mind into believing another creature was in fact an illusion, 
a powerful spellcaster could alter their own subjective reality, rendering that creature virtually incapable of harming the caster through normal means. Oren already understands the fundamentals of the concept, and he quickly takes to the spell after a little practice. And although they both leave the meeting with their own new mysteries to uncover, Oren decides that it was nonetheless productive, and he wishes Hypatia and the college luck, a sentiment she returns, advising Oren and the APA to use discretion as their recent exploits have garnered quite the high profile. Oren grumbles something about that ship having long since left the station, but nods in the affirmative and tips his hat and winks to Vrenica on his way out. He heads off to inform his crew of what he's learned. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, indeed. <laughs> That's what's up, man. That's what's up. That spell? Uh, what? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah cool. the spell is the spell what? is called subjective reality, man. <laughs> it's it's wild. It's a level six spell. Dude. Um Jesus. Of yeah, course that's so, a level six. Fuck, mm-hmm. dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? So just r- quickly, um you become convinced the target is an illusion. Uh the target becomes transparent for you, doesn't create sound or smell. Uh, and, you know, you can move through the target unimpeded. The target can move through you. The target's non-magical attacks just can't even harm you. And then their magical attacks only deal half damage. Their non-damaging magical abilities only have a 50% chance of affecting you, and you're immune to all of its sonic, language-dependent, and scent-based attacks. Uh, but naturally, you also cannot deal any damage to the target or cast spells on them. It's like you shift out of dimension or shift out of phase for them, you know? It's, yeah. You know. What? That's, that's pretty cool. Awesome. It's pretty wild. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty, pretty wild. Cool. Pretty, Level six, man. Pretty cool. Uh, Zach, you know, what did you think about Alora 2 as you did that reading on... on- um, I, thought it, I thought it was fascinating, actually. I, th- I thought a uh, very interesting deity, you know? Um mm-hmm. Certainly, I I think that while Ebrins and Alorotuans um, get along fairly well, you know, mm-hmm. they also sort of have kind of this this indifference, you know, for the most part when things are because they don't exactly see eye to eye on things, right? Like Ebra mm-hmm. e- wants you to discover the you know, the mysteries of the cosmos for yourself and also sort of advocates more of a scientific method in doing so. Whereas Allura 2 is more arcane and mm-hmm. secretive in, mm-hmm. in, you know, in, in, in their approach. Uh, so I, I, I did think it was interesting though. Fascinating. I still have no idea why the fucking Civ were worshiping this, this guy, but yeah, but, both sides are like you worship mystery the wrong way. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty much. Yeah. Ain't that the fucking way? And like Oren, meanwhile, is like, I didn't even ask for this mystery. I just yeah. got it. You know? I wasn't yeah. supposed to be here. Flopped today. in my fucking lap. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm supposed to be dead. <laughs> uh, I was muted. We jinxed. So I said the exact same thing. <laughs> I was muted though, which I had my arms up like, oh, you, you got me. And then it was like, oh, you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, really quickly, I know I keep bouncing off other people's shit because you guys were better writers than me this time. But also <laughs> because I just like to connect stuff that I do to, to you guys because you're my people. Um, during that month, at some point, I think Mike would get 
with Aaron whenever he has time. You know, like, hey, if you, you know, if you're around, come meet up with me for two reasons. One, Mike is incapable of switching his Ghost Killer fusion from his old Dashko to his new Dashko because he, he has Easy, dude. one rank in mysticism, but that's like a 10-minute fix, right? For he you, it's nothing. Yeah. But also, he wants to test out. He's been making this suit of armor, this, this his, his magnum opus as far as suits of armor thus far. And uh, it has, because he's an armor storm, six upgrade slots. So I wanted to make sure for Mike... Uh, with this maybe last kind of downtime interlude thing we've got that he filled up every single slot of his armor <laughs> upgrades. And one of those was the spell reflector that we got. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. he wants basically in the same way that he's kind of with, with Kuiper always like try to attack me, see if my defenses are good enough. This spell reflector is like cast fucking spells at me and see if I can bounce them back at you. Sure. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I mean, this, they, they could certainly train. I, I think that. Right. You know, Mike wanting to keep all of all of his people in tip top shape as well as himself in terms of training, you know, during downtime, I think is like a given, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. And so it's not the highest rank of spell reflector, but still, even with a Mark One, I, I can bounce back level four spell. Like, yeah. It's sick. Yeah, wow. dude. I I almost took that. I was looking for a, a new armor upgrade because I got. You know, in my new D suit, I've got um, multiple slots. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually took awesome. the Magic Resistor Mark II, which is not the spell reflector, but it just increases my um, spell resist. You know, mm-hmm. so nice. that ended up being nice, pretty pricey. But yeah, absolutely, man. Let me certainly train. But yeah, for me, these these little like every now and then, y'all come by training sessions or ways. Despite going through a weird time mentally, Mike is still trying to keep in touch with his people and not grow distant. And you know. Like, I still right. love you guys, and we're going to stick together. Just randomly going up to his friends and say, Hit me! Hey, come hit me with something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's my love language. Well, so you guys are all kind of, like, in separate places in the present, a month later. Okay. And you all, at the same time, get notifications on your comm units or whatever. And you see, like, if you're around anybody everybody just kind of like freaking out and you it's like a news bulletin goes out and everybody gets lit up by emergency it. alert right. not so much an emergency alert but it's like breaking news breaking news right okay. amber alert and the the when you guys look at your message you see the newscaster looking pale and dire is talking about a ship that has emerged at the edges of pack world space that is larger than the Adari. Now the Adari is, is the, the world, Kasatha world, the, the world Kasatha, ship. The Kasatha, yeah. yeah. So this thing is larger than that, potentially larger than Absalom station itself has oh emerged into pack space, uh, packed world space. And like everybody is just like, what, what, the, what the hell, you know, that's like, no moon. <laughs> right. And there's very few, few images but there are a couple they're very fuzzy um but they you see like the one that keeps circulating you know the the viral video or whatever is a a starfinder ship going to try to engage it and before it gets anywhere close to it it is completely evaporated like and that's out of one of the small guns 
that is on this ship. Hmm. And they just keep uh. looping it over and over. Just, just like gone. Like not even an explosion. Like it hits and it's gone. Like just erased from existence. Xeno five over the intercom. They're here. Xeno seven. <laughs> Xeno seven. Yes. Seven, yes. By the way. You said five seven. earlier and I didn't want to interrupt. Gosh. But yeah. Xeno, Xeno seven, seven now. Yeah. Yeah. So the next thing I want to do is have all of you guys at the, your central offices at the APA. Yeah, I think so we would like telepathically all probably all, you know. Like, we need to meet up. Yeah. Let's meet up. And you guys, and so now we find the five of you sitting around your conference table at the APA. What do you, what do you know? Yeah, my, as soon as everybody gathers, Mike's like, I fucking knew it. I knew. I fucking knew it, I too, knew this was coming. I couldn't find anything on this. Queried Xeno 7, I couldn't find anything on this. I'm just glad I made it back in time. Yeah, with the tracer intact at that. And we're all on Absalom, thank fucking God. I don't know if that's anything to be thankful for, Kuiper. Yeah, I mean, but like, if if I were an invading, hostile, crazy world destroyer moon-sized ship, and I had it out for the Pact Worlds, I'd probably come here. The Starstone's here. Right. They're drawn right to it. Has to be. So what do we do? What else can we do, Phil? We saved a fucking day. And we survive. <laughs> uh, at that, your the the APA communications phone lights up. You know? It's like Is it red? Of course. Sure, it, yeah. Of no, course. It's a it's a rotary dial phone. Yeah. 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 Red, rotary <laughs> dial phone. Mike picks it up. So, Hello. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you hear um Alyssa Fina Knott's voice. She's like, "Hello, uh, can you put can, can you put me on video call? I, I've got yeah, some news." Yeah, tip on. Can you handle that? <laughs> Kuiper just kind of leans over and pushes the button. <laughs> 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 uh, hey, I've got one ranking computers now. <laughs> uh, so. You see Miss Knott's worried face appear on the view screen. She says, You've probably heard the news already, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, a huge ship has shown up in Pack World space, and all our projections show it moving towards Absalom Station. Everything that we've sent out to make contact with the vessel has been destroyed. None of them stood a ghost of a chance. Miss Knott presses her lips into a frown. Absalom Station isn't like the Adari. It's never had the capacity to move out of the way. If this ship is hostile, and everything suggests that it is, I don't know where that leaves us. I don't know where that leaves the Pact Worlds. It probably won't surprise you to hear that the Pact Council uh, Directorate has convened to discuss this issue. It also probably won't surprise you, Council Woman Ziva, that Lynn Camulon has asked you in the APA's presence at this PAC Council meeting to speak on what you all know. We think you're the people with the most knowledge in the system about whatever is approaching us, even if that information isn't much. And I think the directorate needs to be as informed as they possibly can be. I'm not the only one either. I just got a call from a priest of Elortu. I have no idea how she got my personal line. She claims she saw you in one of her divinations. She insisted that you have crucial knowledge for the approaching threat. 
I didn't ask much after that. I found when it comes to a lore two, asking questions only gets you more questions in response. <laughs> yeah, it's same, aggravating. Same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's aggravating, is what it is. Yeah, you got that right. It's not as though she asked me to do anything I wasn't planning to already. Miss Knight adds, kind of sternly. <laughs> I know some of you might have had other motives in accepting my first contract. If you need further motivation now, name a price, and Abadar Corp will pay it as soon as the station is safe again. But this just isn't about just responsibility or public safety. This is personal. For those of us whose ancestors came from Galarian, this is all that's left of our home. And she goes on to request that you all meet her at the Golden Vault, which is Abadar Corp's head office in the Ring of Absalom Station. Oh, then I'm glad I didn't say what I was going to say. I was going to say, you didn't call Abadar Corp. You called the APA. We'll do it. <laughs> She's uh, with what, Abadar. <laughs> what, what do you say? Yeah, fuck them. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I don't say that. Cut, Mike, cut does, Mike cut doesn't talk. This is not his time to talk. It's like when you like put him on mute, because the person on mute, because the first... It's like a, in the office... Like mm-hmm. Michael Scott, they put him on mute the first thing he says because he's always going to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. And then he gets it right in the second attempt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so what do y'all say? Um, Miss Knott, of course we will uh, meet with you. We all share the trepidation. Uh, we may not have come from Galarian, but Absalom Station is our home. The Pact Worlds are our home. And we will do our utmost to protect that home. We will see you there. All right. So you do. You you go. You load up in the in a Nissan Armada. Nissan Armada. <laughs> and head over to the Golden Vault. The Golden Vault is Abadar Corp's head office. A fact that's made pretty plain by the golden ten-story tall logo on the skyscraper's side. Subtle. The building's public entrance opens into a vast cathedral-like bank, which is still bustling despite the looming threat. Dozens of congregants sit in comfortable pews, praying to Abadar for salvation. On the other side of the space, secular clerks attempt to claim, attempt to calm panicked customers, attempting to withdraw their entirety of their savings. Despite the tense mood, there is a sense of hope as the people here put their trust into their God. And some of them, even as they see you walk through the door, are like, Oh, the APA! Oh, they're going to help us! They're, 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 you know, they're here! You hear all that muttering. Uh, before you can even ask where to find Miss Knott, a pair of secu- uh, security personnel recognizes you and escorts you to a well-furnished office several flights up. Miss Knott greets you when you enter, and another woman sits in a sleek hover chair wearing a slender three-pleat three-piece black suit that sparkles with distant stars around the sleeves. A light blue scarf frames her face, and a pair of light gray gloves covers her hands. Miss Knott introduces the woman as Cambrisa Jun, a priest of Aloratu, and explains that they'll all soon go to Planera, the steeped dome that serves as the capital building of the Pact Worlds, where they can present their findings to the Directorate an elected committee that makes pressing decisions for the PAC Council. You have a few minutes to get updated. Uh, you can ask Miss Knott anything you want. Uh, you can also ask this priest anything that you want. 
and you know, Miss Nye offers you a million credits just to speak, just for speaking to the directorate on behalf of the Pact Worlds. Um, Sold. I'll sh- let, let me show you a picture. Uh, go ahead and I'm gonna have to cut this out real quick uh, with a snip. But what what is your immediate responses as you walk in here? How would you know? I'm trying to keep as cool and level ahead as possible and project, you know, um, confidence, not like cockiness, but like, it's okay. We've got this. Um, I mean, here I'm putting a picture of the, of Cambrisa in our discord chat. So you can get kind of sounds strangely similar to kombucha. (laughs) <laughs> Adam, too close. I told you I'm part of the booch cult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she she just looks at you all and says, "Yes, I knew that you would come. Welcome, and thank you for your help." And so, do you have any questions for Cambrisa? And this is, I mean, it's obvious she's. Sorry, she's a priestess of Allure, too. Is that what I'm understanding? Mm-hmm. Okay, just mm-hmm. making sure I didn't screw that up. Um, Cambrisa, what do you know? You you say you uh, saw us in the divination. What can you share with us? And we need to compile all available information so that we can get ahead of this situation. Yes. Most of what is known is what is unknown. Oh, boy. Yes, I know. Many quickly tire of that answer. But the gap remains as persistent as ever. And most of our studies on the Starstone serve to prove only how unique it is. I could tell you that the people of past Galarian understood its significance just as well as we do. And maybe more so as I could name siege after siege of ancient armies who sought to claim it. That every one of them failed might be even more miraculous than the artifact itself. I could speak more on how the Starstone seems to be unique in its power as a drift beacon across all of known space. How we have no idea where many of its defenses come from or even how it creates enough energy to power the whole of Absalom Station, nor any understanding of the strange ghostly figures that seem to pass through its reactor. But I suspect the mysteries that fascinate me will only frustrate you. I asked the powers of magic and the universe for a solution to the mystery of the approaching ship, and it revealed you. I'm not sure what more I can explain. I only know what you know. Right. That's uh, unfortunate. And... Jesus Christ. Um... (laughs) Well, it checks out to me. Do the the diplomacy. (laughs) Come on. Do the diplomacy. Can we roll Um, a check, please? (laughs) Find out the solution. And this is who you spoke to, Oren? No. 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 The, The... 
uh, Hypatia Cruis is is the archmage of the Hidden College. Probably, probably this priest reports to her. I would imagine. Okay. Um, Ziva well, would kind of. Oren doesn't really have any questions. Like, it's for him. It's pretty cut and dry. It's like mm-hmm. you got a you got a divine, you know, augury or something from your god that mm-hmm. directed it. I mean, you know, well, that's, yeah. that's that is what it is. Yeah, that's this just, is one hundred and one level shit for. Yeah, Arne. yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Mike is, is dumbfounded. Right. Like, how could you possibly? Yeah. <laughs> beyond our, our our wheelhouse. Well, look, know? I've got one rank in mysticism, but this is <laughs> this is something else. Right. I watched one video on YouTube. <laughs> um, watched a yeah. box primer on mysticism. Right, right. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> so much of it is all this, you know. Uh, what is known is known crap that it's like okay, you're like intentional. Like the vibe is you're telling us, I'm not really going to give you much. You know, like that's right. what it feels so, like. But, that's just how these people are, Mike. Yeah, so, too works in mysterious people. ways. Yeah. Um, yes, I see that you have read the ancient text. Oh, of I, I was just <laughs> espousing platitudes. <laughs> yeah, I according don't to Ebrites, you know, means. the wrong way to do mystery, but whatever. <laughs> uh, well, yes, well, we are. I, yes. Oh, we're glad to have you here however we can have you. Um, and she kind of turned to Miss Knott again and just kind of... Uh, everything that we have sent towards this vessel has been destroyed outright completely, yes? Yeah, that's the case. Have we received any kind of signal, any form of uh, transponder? Or, uh, nothing. No, uh, unfortunately not. Uh, no communication. And, and uh, I don't know. I, perhaps the council will have more to say. I, I know they're meeting now, and so if there really is nothing else, we, we should head that, that way. Have the Bantreds been informed? Or, or consulted? No, I, uh, consulted? I, 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 I don't think so. Uh, sure, certainly they know. Yeah. Uh, the, the entirety of the Pact Worlds is aware at this point but yeah the the getting the banter's perspective might be helpful again this is why we need you and your team on this meeting uh, all right let's let's go time is of the essence um yeah so she takes you down to the golden vault garages where you, there's a luxury transport uh that takes you across the station to the planara again the planara is the dome that is the capital um, and you're escorted up to the star chamber, which is at the highest point of the dome, to speak with the directorate who have convened in this emergency session. The thick magnetic doors open to reveal a room overlooking the entirety of Absalom Station's eye. The green expanse of Jatembe Park ring the station's most exclusive and prestigious buildings. A semicircle of chairs and desks sits opposed to the wall-spanning windows, each seat pointed at the triangular digital display that sits in the center of the room. The members of the directorate turn as Isafina Knott enters, rearranging their chairs to face the arriving delegation in respect. A Rhyforian counselor surreptitiously skirts behind the other directorate members to murmur something to a seated Kasatha, though the others ignore them both as a heavily augmented Sheeran moves to the front. Welcome! The Sheeran says, her friendly voice suggesting a hint of robotic inflection. 
We have been hoping you might grant us more insight into the current situation for all of our sakes. And we'll see you. All right. Here we go. Happy 200, everybody. I gotta get the cards. Yeah, for real. I hope you guys are ready this for a lot. political discussion oh, next week. Hey, I re-listened to last week's episode I right before this, and I really enjoyed the political yeah. discussion. I tell you what, Fel will make sure to sit there and stare at us. <laughs> <laughs>